Let's go ahead and start. We're going to do something a little bit different this morning, and that is I'm going to save prayer requests to the end. Um, I was two weeks ago after I spoke at, in uh, church, I was talking with a friend of mine who uh, lives up in Woodlake, and um, he said, yeah, we're, he's on the pastoral search committee, and then it turns out he's on the pulpit committee. And I said, well, I just preached at our church, and he said, oh, well, we have a spot open on March 15th. So anyways, I'm driving up to Woodlake after this. I have to be there by 11, so I know it doesn't take that long, but I thought I'm going to leave a few minutes early, so um, you can pray for me while prayer requests. Uh, Adrian's going to do it for us, I think. He didn't nod or anything when I said that, so I was a little concerned that maybe that, so Adrian will do prayer requests at the end, so um, let's go ahead and open, though, with, um, <clears throat> with prayer, and then we'll jump into First Peter. I know some of you keep waiting for Exodus. Next week, we start Exodus, but Dan Dumas came and spoke last week, and that was wonderful, and uh, when we have an opportunity like that, we take it, so um, Exodus can wait. It'll still be there after a couple of weeks. All right. Father, we want to thank you for a beautiful Sunday morning. Thank you, Father, again for the opportunity to be together and to enjoy each other's company and, and to be encouraged by one another and, and to pray for each other and, and most important, to hear from you and to, to see uh, into your word. Uh, Father, I ask that you would uh, allow what is said uh, today to be um, of you and, and accurate, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Shut that. April, did you want to do the roll, or you want to pass it around? Okay. All right, okay, all right, you're on. Um, all right, we are finishing up First Peter this morning. Um, there's actually two paragraphs, but the last one is the final greeting or his last, um, last little parting part, and we may not touch on that. Um, the passage we're going to be in is 1 Peter 5, uh, verses 6 through 11. We'll lead, read all the way to the end, but that's the passage that we're in. Um, we're finishing up the book. This is his parting shot. This is the last thing he's going to say to these people. Uh, of course, we know he writes another epistle to them, but, but um, at this point, he's concluding his argument. So it's an important section. Um, the, the book itself, of course, dealing with suffering as its large context and the way that Peter has dealt with suffering the whole way along has been to turn our attention from the suffering which is temporal, and I know I sound like a broken record on this, but to turn our attention to the things that are imperishable and um, eternal and precious. And, and so that our attention goes there, and we're thinking about, and the book begins this way, we're thinking about our inheritance in heaven, we're thinking about our Savior, we're thinking about being with the brothers and sisters for all eternity, thinking about all of those other things, put your attention on those rather than on the suffering. The suffering is temporary. The persecution doesn't last. Put your attention on those other things. Um, and in the meantime, live like God would want you to live. Don't live 
saying, well, that person did that to me, I'm going to do that to him. And that's why the passage that David Morris taught on, don't let anyone suffer. If you're going to suffer, suffer as a Christian. Um, And then um, two weeks ago, we got to um, a passage that seemed sort of out of place, but it was exhorting the elders. And then at the end of it, exhorting everybody. And I think that if the church was experiencing persecution, the unity of the church would be absolutely critical. Uh, That would be the time where the elders would have to step up, but the church would have to step up as well. Everybody would. And so there were three charges to elders. Um, Elders should be eager to be an elder. Um, You shouldn't be forced into it. Uh, Second, you shouldn't do it for, for greed. And I forgot to mention it last week, the classic verse on that is that Jesus says, if, if you're a hireling, you run away when the wolf comes, right? Hirelings don't stay around. So anybody who's in it for the money, the minute that there's a, that there's a um, actual issue where safety might be involved, where persecution might be coming, that person's leaving. And don't do it um, lording it over the flock. Instead, shepherd like Jesus would have shepherd. And be humble. And in fact, that's where I want to pick up this morning, um, starting actually in verse uh, 5 of 1 Peter 5, because, because the ending shot will be about humility. It says in verse, um, verse 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And we said last week that, you know, if you're going into persecution, what you, what you don't want is the world to be against you and God to be against you, right? <laughs> because that's what it says. God will oppose the proud. So if we're proud, now we have the world saying, well, we don't like you because you're a Christian. And God's saying, I'm opposed to you because you are not, not humble. This is an interesting, interesting idea. Um, but Peter doesn't expect that of us. He expects humility. And he goes on, verse 6. Um, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Sylvanius, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Um, Like I said, we probably won't get to that last paragraph, Um, so if you have questions about it, talk to me, but um, there's an issue there of who is he talking about when he says that she who is in Babylon Of course, we have to deal with the thorny issue of greeting one another with a holy kiss and why we don't do that anymore, but uh, we'll skip that part. We're going to deal with this 6 through 11. Um, There's actually, in this passage, um, 
there's three commands. And I'd like to start with those. Uh, The first one, everybody see it there, is humble yourself. And then it gives us who we're humbling ourselves under. So it's humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. So that's the first command in this passage to us. Um, Second command, anybody see it in there? Be sober, be watchful. So humble yourself, be sober, sober sober-minded, and be watchful, which are similar to each other. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Okay, what else? There's one more. Resist the devil, right? Resist the devil, right? Um, I do think these are all linked together. I think Peter is going to pull together this idea of take your eyes off of, that's the summary of the book, take your eyes off of the persecution and put them on God. So we begin with this one, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And it gives reasons for that, right? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Why? Because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Yep, and that's in the verse before. But let's, let's stick with this passage. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. So that at the proper time, he may exalt you. All right, so that's that. But there's actually one more in there. And that is um, because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. I know it's part of that verse. By the way, I, how many know the verse, casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you? That's a Sunday school. I didn't see many hands go up. All right, that's a Sunday school verse, right? But what's interesting is, for me, that was ripped out of context. That was all I memorized, casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. It's a wonderful verse, and it's meaningful even without this idea of humbling. But I think if we include the idea of humbling yourself, um, that, that that casting all your cares upon him actually makes us understand what it means to be to humble but uh, humble ourselves before him. But it says, humble yourself so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Um, He cares for you. Um, We can place ourselves under the mighty hand of God because of these two things. So to humble yourself obviously means to to uh, humble yourself under somebody is submit to their authority, to allow them to be in charge. You know, humility is not something we do easily, right? Um, but the idea here is placing yourself completely under, under him, not thinking more highly of yourself, and we couldn't think of ourselves as more highly than, than God, right? I mean, this is God himself. Now, um, this phrase here, the mighty hand of God, takes us back think, uh, to our Old Testament. Uh, 
what does the hand of God um, symbolize? Yeah, it, it, it symbolizes authority, certainly. It's his power. Um, and it's his power to save, and it's his power to judge. Um, if you go back to uh, Exodus chapter 7, by the way, this is all through the Pentateuch, all through uh, Exodus and Numbers and Leviticus. You can find many, many verses like this. Exodus uh, 7 verses 4 and 5. Um, this is God talking to Moses. Uh, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring uh, my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgments. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Um, In Psalms it says, God's hand is not so short that it cannot save. So we are placing ourselves under God's protection. Okay, This is the same hand that that in Egypt took the Israelites and said, I'm going to judge this entire nation and I'm going to pull you out as an entire nation. That's the mighty hand of God. The mighty hand of God is the same hand that's able to take a sinner and turn him into a saint. Okay? This is the mighty hand of God. We, humble ourse- we should humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God regardless if there's a promise there or not, right? But here's the promise. So that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Okay? Um, this is the tough part here. We understand what exalt means. What we probably don't like is that word, right? Or those two words. Was that? When is that? When is the proper time? And I would say that none of us would know what that is for any suffering that we're going through. We do know that he will exalt us eventually because we will be made like Christ. And that's in, the, in this passage, and we'll get to it in a second. Look at the end of the verses. Um, that God may be glorified in everything. This is in verse 10. To him belong glory and dominion forever and amen. Um, but we know from, well, we'll get to it. But yes, I, I think some of this is at the end of the age, but I do believe that God does exalt people, but he does it at the proper time, which means in his time, right? Um, Romans 5, if you jump over there. This is something that's said about God's plan, especially with the regard to Christ. Romans 5, 6 says, um, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So you have all of human history, and you may ask the question, why did Jesus come when he came? And the answer is, that was the right time. God knows what the right time is. And that, again, runs all through Scripture. When when God is talking to Abraham, and he says, I'm going to take your your, um, your descendants and turn them into a mighty nation, but first, they have to go into, cap, into slavery for 400 years. We're going to study that in Exodus. 
And do you remember why they have to go into slavery for 400 years? Um, yeah, I was going to say that's the, yeah. No, no. He gives he gives Abraham an exact reason, and the reason is because the cup of iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. That there's there's a time for God. He, he, he sets up his... I asked the question, why didn't he just have Abraham be born 400 years later? <laughs> I, I don't know, but it's his, it's his time. It's his plan. All right? And then this one here, he cares for you. Why do we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God? Because we know our God. And our God cares for us. We're not placing ourselves under somebody who we don't trust. But I left out this. This casting all your care. I like cares. It says anxiety in my Bible, but casting all your cares. It's just the alliteration there is just really nice. Casting all your cares upon him. Um, I think, and you can disagree with me if you like, but I think that this and this are linked together. I think if you don't cast your cares upon him, you have not humbled yourself. Right? If you really believed that he will, that he has the power to do whatever he wants, and that he will do what's right in the proper time, and that he truly cares for us, we would give him our cares. We would cast our cares upon him. We would allow him to carry the things that we're carrying. That verse, casting your cares upon him, comes from, there's another place in scripture that's used. That was when Jesus was going to ride into Jerusalem on the donkey. And it says that the disciples cast their garments upon the dark donkey. The picture is taking whatever you have and just throwing it on a beast of burden. This is not sort of, well, here, God, you can you can have it. This is, it's yours, right? So how do we do this? How do we cast our cares upon him? Does that, that make sense? If you don't do this, don't fool yourself into thinking that you're doing this. If we don't cast our cares, we're saying, God, I understand what you say, but I think I'd better take this one myself. I, I think I'd better handle this one. I know that you're a great God and you care for me and all the rest, but this one little problem of mine, this one is too important to me or too, uh, too much of a concern for me to hand off to you. Rod. Don't you think that, that what he's also telling us that hasn't come right out and saying, you gotta exercise faith in me as being the one with the mighty hand <coughs> so that you can humble yourself and cast your... Yeah, I, I agree that there's that faith is a big part of this, but I would still say that if we don't if we don't do it, the pr- what what the sin there is is pride. Yeah. Oh well, yeah. Yeah, you're putting your faith in these three things. 
I, I, okay, I, you know what, I'll agree with you, Rod. Um, not that we would be disagreeing. There's obviously an element of faith uh, and a big element, but I, but I still think that the practical way of showing that you have humbled yourself under God is to act in faith to cast your cares upon Him. So how, how do we do that? How do we cast our cares upon God? Well, I think of um, being anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known before God. Um, I, I think it's a matter of the will, otherwise it wouldn't be a command. Let me just make a suggestion. Take, take whatever anxiety it is right now that you're holding on to and just give it to God. When, when you go back to worrying about it, say, okay, God, I've kind of stumbled here. It's yours again. I, I don't know what it is because I don't know where you are. It might be your health. Maybe you're really worried right now about your health. God, God can be in charge of that. It doesn't mean you don't go to the doctor, right? But it means you stop worrying about it. Uh, you, 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 maybe it's your financial situation. Maybe it's the fact that we're in the drought and you don't know if your well's gonna last. And I hate saying that because some of you now, your thoughts are totally on your farm. But, but that, maybe, maybe that's the one that you have to give to him. Maybe, I, 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 it would be easy to say, throw everything on him, but why don't you start with one? Take whatever it is right now that is, that is eating you up with worry and say, God, that one's yours. I trust you for it. And then do that again. Oh, Helen. You really preached it to me this morning when you hit the first spot. Talking over with God better. Okay, good, good. Does that have something to do with your neck brace? Okay, yeah. Yes. Exactly. And I think that's why that the casting all your cares upon him only makes sense if we believe he cares for us. And knowing who he is and that he cares for us should make it so that we can do that. Let's see. Yeah, he did. Okay, we are going to run out of time if we don't move forward here. But this is a good, we'll, we'll mention it again at the end. This, this was, as I thought about this and studied this week, this is, I think, every one of us in this room probably is going to go, okay, <laughs> I have something that I have not given to God yet. Right? Um, but there's more to this passage. Um, we are to be sober-minded and to be watchful. Now, these two seem to be very closely linked together, but I actually think that this is a throwback to what Peter has been saying through the whole book. Because that phrase, be sober-minded and be alert or watchful, 
has been used before in the book, um, most powerfully, I think, in 1 Peter 1.13. So just turn back there again real quick. Um, when I've forgotten most of whatever else I taught out of 1 Peter, I think this verse will be with me. 1 Peter 1.13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, the revelation of Jesus Christ is when we become sinless. We are conformed to his image. We are made like him. That's what John, uh, John says, one book over in 1 John, that um, when we see him, we will be like him. And seeing him is him being revealed to us. When we, he, we see him, we will be like him. Um, uh, Peter is turning our attention to that which is coming. We will be like Christ for all eternity. Be sober-minded. Right? Why, why can we go through our cares and our trials? Because we know what's coming. We know that, that the sin that we battle with will be gone. We know that we will be like our Savior. Be sober-minded and be watchful. Now, that brings us to this one, and I know I'm going real fast here, but resist the devil. Now, oftentimes these two are linked completely. But I think being sober-minded always means look at the big picture. Look at the fact that there will come a time where we will be exactly at Christ. We have the devil, though, and what is the devil trying to do? Okay. He's trying to take our eyes off of that. He's trying to take us and make us think that the mighty hand of God isn't strong enough in our situation. That... that that this is all there is. And it's interesting, I looked at this for a while and it, 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 it took some thinking, but it was just an interesting temptation because we normally use this passage. And this is another one, uh, right? You just throw it out. Satan prowls her out like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And we assume that that just is temptation in general. And by the way, I think it is. Uh, Satan does walk around like a roaring lion. He tempts us. He, he devours, he harms the saints, he's the accuser of the brethren, he's the hater of us. Um, but in this passage, it's, it's dealing with this issue of, of casting your cares upon the Lord, of humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God. It's dealing specifically with the issue of persecution and the suffering that we face. Um, and so it says, resist him, firm in your faith, and, and, and what is it that Paul, uh, Peter gives as the reason? Knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brothers throughout the world. So he says, resist the devil. Now, we can go to all sorts of passages on resisting the devil. Ephesians 6, put on the whole armor of God that you may resist the devil. Uh, uh, Paul, uh, James says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And the way you resist the devil is to draw near to God. Draw near to God, resist the devil. But this, he says, resist the devil, how? Knowing others are suffering. Isn't that weird? That's how we resist the devil? Knowing that others are experiencing the same thing we are? I, I just thought that was kind of, kind of interesting. Okay. Yeah, so we, we know others are going through it, and so it, it strengthens us. Um, I, I think Satan tempts us by 
convincing us that we're the only one. Right? Isn't that what everybody says? Something bad happens. What's the first comment? Why me? Well, why not you? <laughs> right? Why me? Why did this happen to me? Why did my car break down? Why did I get in, in this accident? Why? Whatever. I, I, I don't know if I've ever been as impressed for those of you who went to the memorial service or the um, ceremony is what they called it for, for Megan, uh, her sister. I mean, the, all, I was really impressed with all the kids who spoke. But her sister, I just thought was, was for a young woman to stand up and say, uh, don't be angry with God. He had every right to do what he did. Uh, it's, it's not our decision when somebody is uh, born and died. She didn't say it exactly like that. But, but don't get angry with God. This was his decision. He had the right to do it. And you're thinking, that's an amazing thing. Because normally we're saying, why did that happen to my family? And I'm sure they're asking that question. I'm sure they are. I know they are. And yet... It's the trick of the devil to say, this is unique to you. God doesn't love you anymore because this happened to you. If God really loved you, he wouldn't let you go through this. And even more so if it's true persecution, I think, where it's coming at you where people are attacking you for what we believe, what we see more frequently. We need to remind ourselves that this is, the, this is what Christians go through. This is what is so horrible about the health and wealth gospel is it tells you that, I mean, it, it's just heresy. <laughs> when you're going through something, well, that's because you've been sinful. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're, we've put ourselves under God's hand. We know what's coming and we know the trick of the devil. The devil's gonna tell you that, that God doesn't love you that you're the only one who's experienced this, that this was unfair, and all of those other things that he says. Um, and that's why even in the uh, final greeting, which we're not going to cover, he says, um, by Sylvanius, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, this is verse 12, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. The other trick will be to say, are you really sure who your God is if he allows this to happen to you? So I, I do think this ties the whole book together in a sense. This idea of humbling ourselves under God means that we trust him for what's happening, which Peter's been saying all the way along. Keep your eyes on the future. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Watch out for the devil because he's going to keep telling you these things are happening just to you but ultimately humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, cast our cares upon him. So I need to be going, but Rod has a question. So if I'm late, Rod, it's gonna be your fault. <laughs> so don't you think that we might have a wrong thought of hiding ourselves under the mighty hand of God? I mean, that's the, if you look at that as it says, it's, it's like a fortress, we're running in, into a fortress. Yeah. But I think that mighty hand of God becomes more of an internal strength that's provided for all of the things that, that can happen to us in suffering. Yeah. So it isn't necessarily he's going to take and protect us from the events that, 
that are going to come at us as, a, as in the horses, but he's going to give us the internal strength to be uh, humble under his hand, to, be, uh, to understand that he cares for us even though we're going to yeah. Well, yeah, certainly it's something that, yeah, that, that is internal. We're not going to, I mean, D David talks about that, you know, uh, that I run to the rock that is higher than I, and he hides me in the cleft of the rock. And um, we're, we're looking at God's protection for our lives. Yeah. But I do think if we find ourselves not casting our cares upon him, then we haven't really humbled ourselves under him. And then we're going to find that we're going through the trial by ourselves. Now is when this Satan becomes even more powerful because he's going to convince you that this was something that if God was just a little bit, cared for you a little more, if he was a little stronger, uh, if, if he knew a little bit better, I mean, we wouldn't verbalize those things, but that's what we're thinking, then this wouldn't be happening to you. And it's because we haven't humbled ourselves under his mighty so all right let me go ahead and close in prayer and then we'll uh, take prayer requests